Okay. Um, we're beginning now the portion of Titsava in which we learn of the garments of the priest. So we're starting here with the first verse. And you will command the children of Israel that they shall take for you clear olive oil, crush for illumination, to light a lamp continually. So Rashi explains, it says that they should take clear olive oil. So Rashi is saying it can't have any sediment. Um, so what this means is that it's not enough that the oil doesn't have sediments at the time it's used for the menorah or the candelabra. That's the oil which never had sediments. So how this was done is that the olive tree is harvested three times a year. The first harvest is for the earliest ripening olives at the top of the tree. The second one is for the olives of the middle branches, which ripen later. And the third harvest is for the fruits of the lowest branches that never receive the full sunlight. So they don't ripen until after they've been harvested, left to stand packed tightly together in a vessel. So the olives extracted, the oils extracted from the olives of each harvest through three consecutive messes. First, they crush them in a mortar. Then they're pressed with a bean. And then they're ground with the millstones. So only the oil extracted by crushing with a mortar could be used because that's the only oil that we know not only now does not have sediments, but never had sediments. As Rashi explains, when he says crushed, says here, Rashi, it says clearly, Rashi says he crushed it with a mortar but did not grind them with a mill. Later they ground with the mill, but not for the manure, not for the candelabra, because there cannot be any sediments in the oil. And after he extracts the first drop of oil, then the olives are in the mill and ground up. And this oil that comes from the mill cannot be used for the menorah, but can be used for the meal offerings. It says to light a lamp continually. So first, Rashi says, that he is going to kindle the fire of the menorah until the flame would rise on its own. So, in other words, because the verse says lahalos, which means to raise up, not lahadlik, to kindle, it indicates that the priest has to hold the fire to the whip until the flame, the flame rises on its own. And this is called the continual light. So the question is, I was saying continual. It didn't burn all the time. But something that's a constant could be viewed as continual, as Rashi gives many examples. We have a continual Ola offering, which is offered once a day. We have the meal offering, where we say also continual. It's offered half in the morning, half in the evening. But by the bread... Lechem Hapanim, the special bread, which of course is actually a type of matzah, in the temple, that it said continuous, and it was always there. Meaning the bread was constantly on the table because every week's bread was placed on the table as the previous week's bread was being removed. So the table was never lacking the bread. So there when we say tamid, it is continuously, constantly happening. In all these other examples, it doesn't mean it's always happening, like the candelabra of the menorah is not always lit, but rather it's on a daily basis. 
Next verse, in the tent of meeting, Oamoid, outside the Prochas, as we explained in the previous portion, the Prochas was the dividing curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy. That is near the testimony, Aaron shall arrange it with his sons from evening until morning before God, an eternal decree for their generations from the children of Israel. So from evening to morning, so our stage is measured how much oil is needed for the longest nights of the year, meaning when the day is shortest, the night is longest. So in the winter months of Tavis, so we like December time, when the nights are the longest, they, our sages say you need half a log to burn for such nights. So therefore, every single night, even nights that are much shorter, like in the summer, where it could start very late, they would still use the exact same half a log, which would mean that the light would be left over, would continue burning into the day. But that was fine. It didn't make a difference. So during those days when the nights are short and the days are long, the oil would burn way into the day and it wasn't a problem. So those verses were on the lighting of the menorah. Now we're going to start discussing the garments of the priests, which takes up basically the rest of the whole entire portion. And you bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he shall be a priest to me, Aaron, Nadav, and Abihu, Elazar, and Isamar, the sons of Aaron. Bring near to you. The Rashi says, after you're going to complete the work of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle, meaning Moses received these instructions before the tabernacle was built. So obviously they could not be carried out immediately because the initiation of Aaron and his sons into the priesthood only took place after the completion of the tabernacle. You shall make garments of sanctity for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for splendor. And you shall speak to each of the wise-hearted people whom I have invested with a spirit of wisdom. And I shall make the garments of Aaron to sanctify him, that she shall be a priest unto me. The Rashi says, on these words, to sanctify him so that he should be a priest unto me, that this means to sanctify him, to bring him into the priesthood, by means of the garments, to be a priest to me. So the priesthood, the initiation to the priesthood, then, is through these garments. Next verse. These are the garments that they shall make, a hoshen, and an aphod, and a meio, and a ketinus of checkered texture, a mitznefes, and an avne. They shall make garments of the holy for Aaron your brother for his son, so that he shall be a priest to me. Um, so we have here, this is a listing of all the garments. Now there are, for the high priest, Aaron was a high priest, there were eight garments, seven of which are listed here. The eighth, the pants, get listed later. And four garments for a regular priest, eight for the high priest. So Rashi now, he has these very long Rashi's where Rashi goes garment by garment and explains them. So, the first one that's listed is a choshen. So Rashi just says very briefly, this is an ornament worn opposite the heart. Later, we're going to come back to the choshen and we're going to explain that the choshen is generally translated as this breastplate which had 12 stones which were engraved with all the names of the tribes. 
and these stones would light up and through them God would communicate through the priest to the people because the letters of the stones would light up because within the stones was a parchment which was God's holy name. So this breastplate couldn't just hang on its own. It was literally a plate which had four rings and through these four rings it's attached to the next garment that's listed here which is the aphod. So the aphod, Rashi explains, so the aphod, Rashi explains, is sort of like a apron, meaning, try to explain how Rashi explains this, the bottom half of it was like an apron-like garment, meaning the entire back of it was like material, as if envision a skirt, which comes and ties in the front. So it's as it's not a, it's not a complete skirt, but if it would be like one long piece of material that comes around the back and then ties in the front, around the waist of this, what we're calling apron-like garment, it's called an apron for the bottom half, which is an apron over the other garment, is this belt, which ties around the belt. And now again, this is a skirt of it, so to speak. How is it? How is it on you? So across the back are shoulder straps. So the shoulder straps are coming up from the back and then up on the shoulders. And then you have on the top of each shoulder is a precious stone, a shoham stone, which usually translated as an onyx stone. Well, I don't know if that was literally an onyx stone, but two precious matching beautiful shoham stones. And this is then attached to these shoham stone straps was like gold, which then tied into the breastplate. So again, if you can envision this, you have one long piece of material that's like coming around, skirting from the back completely, tied in the front, and then supported by these shoulder straps, which are coming on the back resting on your shoulders with these two onyx stones and then tied with these golden bands to the breastplate, which the breastplate then is tied to it has two rings on top that are tying to the shoulder straps on the top and two rings on bottom that are tying to the edge of the belt of this aphod on the bottom. And Rashi spends a long time explaining. Rashi says he doesn't really have a proof that this is what he thinks it is, but this is his vision of it. And then he brings various semi-proofs from Uncleus and from other verses that this aphod is not, in other words, like, what is it? Well, we know there were shoulder straps. Was it just shoulder straps? Well, the shoulder straps are attached to this thing called an aphod. And we know there's a belt. So was it just a belt? Well, the belt is attached to this thing called an aphod. So that means besides the shoulder straps and besides the belt, there has to be something else. And that something else is this skirt-like apron on the bottom, which is the garment of the aphod. And then he brings a proof from King David where it says that David was belted with a linen aphod, which the translation there translates it as a linen garment, a linen robe. And then there's another verse which also uses the term aphod, and also there, it's translated as robes. So we're 
sort of like a proof to a proof to a proof. David is wearing this linen ephod, which the translation, the Aramaic translation says, a linen kardut. And also, another verse takes the word robes and translates also with the same word kardut. So therefore, we know that an ephod, if it's a kardut, it means a type of garment, a type of robe. Okay. That was the ephod. That was a very long rashi, which I sort of summarized here. The next garment is called the me'il. Me'il means a coat. We usually think of it as a coat. But it's also, as Rashi explains, it's a type of robe, as is the next garment, which is the katoina, which is also a type of robe. So we have a robe and a robe. The difference is the katoina goes directly on the person's flesh, and the me'il is the upper outer robe. And the katainas, we're told, is the katainas of a checkered texture. The Rashi explains that it was made of, like, settings for decoration, and the settings were like indentations, which are made in golden ornaments. In other words, you'd have this indentation as a base to affix precious stones and pearls. So the aphode, the, I'm sorry, so this uh, robe, this, like, under robe, it looked like this checkered texture as if it was the golden settings for jewels. Again, there were not jewels on it, but it had this like box-like knit as if each one of those boxes was to hold a precious stone. And a mitznefes. Rashi explains mitznefes is a dome-like hat. And Rashi says we can deduce it means a hat because elsewhere in the scripture, it calls them a different word, migbaos, which the Aramaic translation translates as a hat. So we know this means a hat. And an avnate, an avnate is the belt. Now what belt was this? So this was the belt over the katina because the aphod was the belt over the meal. So, and then it says they're garments of the holy as all from the offerings that have been consecrated for me, for my sake, so you shall make them. So let me try to now explain this in order for someone who's trying to envision this. So here you have the high priest. These are the garments of the high priest. The high priest is also wearing his pants that we discussed later at the end of this portion. So underneath is all his pants. Now, over that, there's the katinus. The katinus is like a long, we would think of it like a smock or a shirt or a robe, not a robe with a zipper or buttons, but anything just like one long smock-like robe, that's the most undergarment. That over that is a belt. That undergarment is belted. Over that belt is the me'il, which is also a robe. It's the outer robe. Over that me'il is the aphod, which again is coming from the back and belted in the front. And then attached to that aphod is the host and the breastplate. And then on the head is this ornamental hat over which is a gold plate across the forehead, which is then tied through and around the hat to be affixed on the high priest's forehead. So what you would see if you were looking at the high priest then would be the breastplate. You would see underneath that the meo. Over the me'il on the bottom half, if you're looking straight at the high priest, he's in front of you, you would see the front of that aphone, which is like that skirt-like apron, which you see it tying in the front. 
and then the arms of the high priest, and those arms, you would see the sleeves of the katainis, that mock-like undergarment, underrobe, undershirt, I mean, shirt meaning a robe that goes all the way down to the floor, but you're basically only seeing the, the sleeves of it, and then maybe the bottom fringe of it that peeks out under the me'il. It was a very, very regal, grandeur appearance of the high priest in all of his eight garments, of which, of course, there's many, many details of each one. The portion, this is just to give you a bird's-eye overview. Now, of course, the pants, you're not seeing at all because they're under the katina, so there's no way you're ever going to see them. Okay, we're just very beginning of this portion of today, but at least now we have some vision of what the high priest looked like.